Continuing from where we left off this morning, we're going to read from verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. And what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. He will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. This is the word of God. And again, we know the Lord will bless the reading of that word and the hearing of that word to our hearts. Let's just pause for a moment in prayer. Father, there are many things that are important to us. Many things that special in our lives and even when we come together in worship there are things that we count precious and things we count important but help us just to think about what we have been singing it's not about the music it's not about our feeling good it's not about what we think at all it's all about you it's all about you, Lord Jesus. And we, we thank you for song. Thank you that we can sing praises to our God. We know your word encourages us. But help us to remember that within our hearts, it must be Jesus. So help us, Lord, to focus on you as we hear your word now. And bless it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's return to uh, Romans chapter 3 and taking up from verse 21. And uh, just as I said this morning, Paul, at the outset of his letter, states this great mission statement in chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then in verse 17, he states, how the righteousness of God is revealed for faith. And then thereafter he sets out how everyone has broken the law of God and that God is therefore right to be angry with mankind and there are no exceptions, there are no special cases for all are equal in sin, both Jews and Gentiles. 
And then at verse three, at chapter 3, verse 20, we were told that through the law comes knowledge of sin. The purpose of God's righteous law is to give knowledge of sin. Can we just flick on for me there, please? The purpose of God's law is to give knowledge of sin, to restrain evil, to guide believers in righteousness. To the law of the Jews was, was their safety net. They felt that if they kept the law and kept it close to their hearts and did the things that it required of them, they were okay. But to Paul, it has a different purpose. To Paul, the law uncovers sin, and, and he says a, a lot more about that in, later on in the book of Romans, as he says in, in chapter 7, uh, that the law... I, am, I would not have, he says that if I had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. And that is important, that it is the law that teaches us what is right and what is wrong. We know that to disobey God's law is sin. And that disobedience makes God angry because God is angry with lawbreakers. He made that very clear when he gave the law to Moses. But also God's justice means that God will punish all lawbreakers. And Paul is dealing with that particular issue in these opening chapters of Romans. But now he is able to proclaim the good news of what God has done in Christ for man's salvation. God comes to rescue sinners. Which, raising the question, can God be just and forgive sin? Or is forgiveness just for his favourites, overlooking their sin? We might ask the question, did God overlook David's sin? We know how David uh, committed adultery with Bathsheba. We go back into that passage. We discover there that David ought to have been out with his army in battle. Instead, he was sitting at home, resting himself rather than leading. He is walking out on the upper uh, balcony of his palace when he sees Bathsheba bathing next door. And he, he instead of Turning and going away, he stands and watches until lust takes control of his mind and his thinking. And then he wants to have Bathsheba brought to him that he might sleep with her. And then he brings Uriah home from the battlefield and arranges for him ultimately to die in battle. And he suppresses his sin for some time. Until Nathan, by the command of God, comes to meet with David and confronts David with the sin that he has committed. And out of that confrontation, there is conviction and, and there is the pouring out of his heart. As in Psalm 51, he is crying out for forgiveness. No, God doesn't overlook David's sin. Indeed, because of his sin, David's household would suffer much by way of hardship. We need a just God. God is not just, then he cannot be God. The world wants justice, fairness, 
and uprightness. And yet what do we find at the very highest areas of society in the political realms? There is corruption, there is discrimination, there is the perversion of justice, the opposite of what it ought to be. But God is just, God is fair. So how can the judge of all the earth forgive those who by their own admission are guilty? Having set the case for guilt in the previous verses of the chapter, Paul now changes direction by declaring how God procures deliverance. In other words, grace comes. Grace comes down to meet with us. And this section stands in contrast with what has gone before. The unrighteousness of man and picking up that theme in verse of 117, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Paul shows the power and the grace of God to redeem guilty and condemned souls. And three things stand out in these verses. The righteousness of God, that this is all about God, and we've been singing more or less the same thing, it's all about Jesus. The righteousness that is revealed. The covers are removed to reveal the promise that had been concealed. And all is centered upon Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. All of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus and the sacrifice made at Calvary. Grace comes and to help us there are four teaching points here that I'm going to look at. The witnesses to grace, the recipients of grace, the source and supply of grace, and the evidence of grace. So let's start with the witnesses to grace. Verse 21, the righteousness of God has been, made, has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The gospel of righteousness is already proclaimed, has already been proclaimed in the law and in the prophets. The Old Testament is full of the righteousness of God. It is full of the gospel of righteousness that God has for his people. And that gospel of righteousness is now more clearly taught in the gospel of Christ Jesus. Paul is able to show that the things of the Old Testament find their fulfillment in Jesus Christ and that he can then go and proclaim to the people, both Jew and Gentile, the wonderful purpose of God that has planned salvation, that has brought it down to man in the person of Jesus Christ. Law and good works based on the law do not justify anyone. Rather, law makes us aware of sin. And yet, chapter 1, verse 17 says that righteousness has been revealed. But the law is not a ladder to heaven of effort and works. If anyone could keep the law perfectly, then they would, in essence, be righteous before God. But it isn't possible. The law is, is like a guardian. Someone who's watching over, looking after, that governs until we can have possession of the promise. 
It's not an alternative way to get right with God, although many try it. The law points to God and to his righteousness. The promise points to the Son of God coming to fulfill the law. Jesus said in John 5, 46, he said, Moses wrote of me. And when you go back into the the writings of Moses and the law of God, it's not just about ten commandments. The whole book of Leviticus is the law of God and it's setting out to us God's law that was to be observed by the people, how they were to worship God, how they were to bring their sacrifices to the temple, how they were to bring their sacrifices for the priest to go into the Holy of Holies to make that sacrifice of atonement for their sin. How blood was to be sprinkled upon the altar. And all of this as a sign of the forgiveness of sin. But all of it also ultimately pointing to one sacrifice that would be greater than all of their sacrifice. And that would be sufficient for all time. The law is God's way of showing us how to live our lives. The saving righteousness of God is taught in the law. But it is more clearly taught in the gospel because Christ has come. He has come to fulfill all of those sacrifices of the Old Testament. He has come to take the place of all of those sacrifices at the temple. Jesus is God's righteousness revealed. He is the divine answer to the unrighteousness of man so that righteousness from God is bestowed freely as a gift of grace. The law without promise leaves only emptiness. If there was no promise, then there would be no hope because no one is able to keep the law. Therefore, no one is able by his or her own effort to attain righteousness. The law and the gospel witness to grace. Secondly, we look at the recipients of grace in verses 22 and 23. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now Paul is writing this, I, believe, I think, to believers. He's writing to believers. He's saying the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and some people leave that there and focus on those verses alone and they are absolutely good words. But we read on and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Righteousness comes from Christ to those who believe in Christ. The literal translation of verse 22 would be through the faith of Christ where we have through faith in Christ, it's through the faith of Christ, meaning that God's saving righteousness comes through the faith or faithfulness of Jesus Christ. He alone 
is the perfect one. He alone is the, the one who has been able to keep God's perfect law. He stands in for us, taking our place. He is the perfect man who is acceptable to God. And so we have the, the great exchange of the cross. God lays on him the iniquity of us all. Laid out in Isaiah 53. God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God bestows on us his perfect righteousness. This is what we call substitutionary atonement. Without it, there can be no gospel. There can be no forgiveness. There can be no righteousness, no hope for sinful man. By our faith in Christ, we acknowledge our sin and we bow to the authority of Jesus Christ. Righteousness, therefore, comes to all, Jew and Gentile, who will believe in Jesus Christ. All are justified by faith in Jesus Christ, says Paul later on. Now, that's not all without extension, or not all without exception, but all who believe in the only Son of God. This is how this just God is able to forgive our sin by providing a substitute to take the place of sinful man. Having lost our God-likeness through the fall, we lack the glory of God that would attract others to us. We have, um, as Paul writes, we, have, we fall short or we lack the glory of God. And we're always falling short of the glory of God. But stirred by the Holy Spirit, souls can seek the Lord and be restored to that glory that we had in the beginning. That's where the new life in Christ comes in. We are a new creation in Christ. And in Christ, we who are, we, who are joined to Christ by faith, must shine with all the fullness of God's glory. One day we will shine as brightly as it is possible to shine when all of this world is left behind. But even here we are to shine with brightness for Christ. All who believe in Christ receive the righteousness of Christ. If you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, I know many of you have, maybe, maybe all of you have. But if you have come to that place of putting your trust in Jesus Christ, then you have received this righteousness of Christ that we spoke of this morning, this garment of righteousness to wear so that you can live for Christ. You can live for the glory of Christ. We need to do that. Paul talks in Philippians about shining like stars in the sky. And Christians have to be shining like stars. Jesus said it. You're the light of the world. People need to see the light shining. And if our lives are not making a difference, if our lives don't say that we belong to Jesus, people are not going to be attracted. They're going to be attracted into our church services if they think that we have nothing to offer. But if we can show by our daily living 
and our talking, our conversation. That we belong to Jesus. And Jesus is special. And Jesus has something to offer to this world that we live in. That he can change lives, transform lives. Then maybe people are going to start drawing closer. Come and find out more. Come and listen. The recipients of grace. Those who by faith are in Christ Jesus. Then we see thirdly the source and supply of grace. Verse 24 that are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. It's the gift of God. We all like to receive a gift. It's lovely when someone brings you a gift, sets it down to you, comes freely. You don't have to pay for it. It's already been paid for. The giver has paid the price. God's gift of grace, justification, is purchased by Jesus Christ. All who believe are made righteous Declared by God to be justified and placed in a right relationship with God. Paul says we are his children. We have adoption into his family. And such will be vindicated in the final judgment. But this gift of righteousness from God comes at a price. Out of love for his chosen people, God redeemed Israel. But it didn't come cheap. The people of Israel in slavery crying out to God for deliverance. God comes down, comes to them in the person of Moses, really. Moses is his, his advocate. And Moses must go to Pharaoh with, the, with the, the different plagues that will come upon the nation. But always Pharaoh's heart is hard and he will not let the people go until it comes to that last plague where Moses tells the people of Israel to choose a lamb without blemish and offer it as a sacrifice and sprinkle the doorposts with the blood. And When the angel of the Lord passes over Egypt, it will enter into every household of Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die. There is the cost cost to Egypt of rejecting God the cost of of not listening to the words of Moses every firstborn son will die but when I see the blood upon the doorposts of the Israelites I will pass over protected by the blood they are redeemed and they are able to leave Egypt and come in uh, will come at length into the promised land. God redeems. And out of love for all that he, whom he has chosen, God redeems all who come to him by the death of his son, by the blood that was poured out upon the cross, shed at the cross of Calvary. And with the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, covering the hearts of believers, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. And Paul calls this a propitiation by his blood. 
It's a big word. I love it. It's a great word. Propitiation. It's a word that means two things. It means that it means that by the sacrifice on the cross, Jesus has rendered perfect satisfaction to God on behalf of the people whom God has chosen for salvation. That God's anger towards those sinful people is satisfied because Christ has taken the punishment on their behalf. God's anger towards me as a sinner is removed by the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. He has made a propitiation for my sins, for your sins. So that when we come in faith to Jesus, when we receive his gift of righteousness, God is satisfied. God does not ask us to take the punishment all over. Christ has taken it for us. He bore my sin in his body on that tree. By his stripes, I am healed. Our sins are forgiven. John says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And that's the wonder of God's love, that he looks down upon this world that he has made and the people he has created. And he, in love, he knows that he wants to redeem a people for himself, but he knows that because of their sin, he must punish. And if he punishes, then he has no people. And so he brings, he interposes his son on our behalf. He gave his son, his only son, the one whom he loved, to take our place and bear our sins upon that cross. The love of God is the source and supply of grace. And then we see, finally, the evidence of grace. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This revealed righteousness of God proves that God is right to rescue guilty people. The cross demonstrates and gives clear evidence that God has always been right to rescue the guilty when they repent. Passing over former sins does not mean that before Christ died, God ignored sin. God showed grace. God imputed forgiveness because of the blood of the Lamb to be slain at Calvary. God passed over those Israelite homes because there was blood upon the doorposts and the evidence of faith in God not to destroy. Old Testament believers holding to the promise given to Abraham are justified in that promise. A promise fulfilled to complete satisfaction when Jesus died on the cross and rose again to proclaim a victorious victory, a glorious victory. And so saints from every age are by faith covered by the blood of Jesus on the cross. God in Jesus substituted himself for the sinner. 
When Abraham believed, in effect, he was believing the promise that God would provide a savior. When Moses walked with God, and when Moses comes to the temple with the, the sacrifices of, for the people, it is in the knowledge that God will make a greater sacrifice that will bring redemption to many people. As David looks forward and his hope is in God, in the knowledge that God is going to, to send one who, uh, from, his own, uh, from his own line who will be king of kings and lord of lords and whose blood will satisfy for his sins. The justice of God is satisfied and the mercy of God is complete and the grace of God is available. This is all about God. The boasting of the Jews who put confidence in the law or in their circumcision and works is dispelled. Paul says it, it has no effect. They have privileges but they must Make good those privileges. We do nothing to secure our redemption and God's righteousness. It becomes ours by faith so that we do not boast. We cannot boast. If righteousness should come by means of the law, then God would be the God of the Jew and Jew only and not of the Gentiles. But since both Jews and Gentiles have fallen, the gospel presents one pathway of righteousness. As all have sinned, so all are justified by his grace as a gift through the, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All who believe in Christ are justified. All who come in faith to Christ are set free. Paul has moved from the condemnation of the law, a law that condemns us all as sinners, to show us justification by the grace of God. Law gives the knowledge of sin. The word of God convinces us of our unworthiness. The grace of God draws us to the fountain of forgiveness. And the hymn writer says, Oh, to see my name written in his wounds. And that's what it means for us who believe that my name is written in the wounds of Jesus as my sins are cleansed by the blood of Jesus. Jesus secures forgiveness. Jesus offers forgiveness. But we by faith must receive that forgiveness. And as I said this morning, it's not sufficient that we know that. It's not sufficient that we know what the Bible teaches or that we know who Jesus is and what he has done, but that you have come as a sinner to Jesus. And maybe there is someone here tonight and, and you haven't yet done that. You're still a stranger to this wonderful grace. And Jesus invites you to come. In essence, he says, I've paid the price. I've done it all for you. I lay down my life that you might live. I've taken your sins, the punishment for your sins, that you might be free. 
Surely then, the thing to do is to bow before his throne and acknowledge, Lord Jesus, be my saviour. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we just say thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is truth. And far be it from us to question the authority that you have set before us. And we thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. We thank you that you took our sins in your body. You bore our punishment. A great many people here tonight are thankful that we can rejoice that our name is written on that cross in the blood of Jesus. Thankful that we are covered over by the precious blood of Jesus. Lord, we know that you're the God of salvation. And if there be one person still a stranger to your grace, our prayer is, that you will draw that dear person home into your family, washed in the blood of Jesus, made clean and righteous in your sight. Father, we pray this in your name. Amen.